Hello, welcome back to another episode of Famula One. I'm your host, Jamie. I'm here with my sister, Jack. Hi, everybody. Um, and what a weekend we had in Qatar. We have a lot to get through, so we a should probably lot. just jump right yeah. in. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's a lot. I mean, I guess to start off, as a, um, a shock to nobody, Max Verstappen is now a three-time world championship champion. Something that is shocking, though. We got two curses broken this weekend. Yeah, Nico really tried it. He really was like, I got you guys. <laughs> Nico, Nico Rosberg posted a picture with just right in front of Max's car. Yeah. And he did not prevail this time. This is like what we said in the curses episode, though, that we said if he tries to start harnessing his power, it's not that's not going to work. It's not going to work. It didn't work. Bahrain curse is also broken, which we kind of knew was going to be broken this season. Yeah. Yeah. Who knows? Maybe they'll come back next year with a vengeance because they're pissed off about being broken. Yeah. I mean, oh gosh. Who knows? (laughs) We're in for a a big season next year, if that's the case. Big Uh, season. But in other news, Jax, you must be pleased I, you know, I've always wondered, you know, especially this season, like with Red Bull winning so much, I was like, do they ever get bored of winning so much? And as a McLaren fan recently, I can say you do not get bored of it. <laughs> you don't. If that's three, what is it? Three podiums in a row, two double podiums in a row? Yep. Epic. And your 500th and 501st ever podiums for McLaren. So yes, on. and we are world record holders. We took it from Red Bull with our 1.8 pit stop, which yeah. is wild. Yeah, and wild. Mr. Oscar Piastri won the sprint race. I love him. Which I, I mean, that was an inc- a crazy sprint race. Crazy. And, and then Oscar won it, and, but Max won the championship during the race, so like Max got to pull up onto the little like platform thing. And it was like Max Verstappen champion. And I was texting Jax the whole time. And I was like, what is this? No, Oscar won. Wait. <laughs> yeah. Which in, it makes sense. Yeah. It was just, I wanted more fanfare for Oscar. Yeah. Oscar will have his moment. He'll have his win with a real podium, real race win one day. And he'll be able to do it. Um, yeah, no, it was a great weekend. I was wearing my McLaren sweatshirt all day, every day. Very proud. Papaya Army. Papaya Army, even though I don't <laughs> love being called that. Um, something that we sadly didn't see on Sunday. Carlos did not race. Yeah, so um, Carlos Sainz was pulled from the race due to a fuel leak um, in his car. And it's odd. They, he was having misfiring issues all weekend. Um, started on Friday and then heard him talking about it through sprint shootout and through the sprint. I don't know how engines work. I wouldn't think that misfiring would cause a fuel leak. I think they're probably separate issues, which is even worse. Yeah. But yeah, it was heartbreaking. It was very sad. Then. If he was racing, Charles Leclerc did well though. Mm-hmm. Ferrari held it down. Um, FIA though and Pirelli both had to step in and put some tire lap limits for safety. I think it was right. 18 laps max you had to pit. So teams pitted three or four times, which was wild to see. Yeah. Yeah. So essentially what happened this weekend is um, I think due to the temperatures as well as they introduce new curbs to this track, they're called pyramid curbs. Um, and Pirelli found that it was causing too much stress to the tires and that the tires were starting to separate the wall from the other term that I don't know. <laughs> and so they actually changed the track ahead of sprint shootout. The drivers had a 10 minute familiarization session and then we went out. Um, so it was interesting. I will say, as a Ferrari fan, the idea of having to watch them do six to eight pit stops, if, if they were going to have two drivers, did give me slight heart palpitations. 
They did well, though, on their pits. They did yeah, well. They, did. they, you know, McLaren was the star of the show in pit stops, obviously, yeah. for the 1.8. But Ferrari had a 1.9, like, 4 or something like that. I was like, great job, everybody. We did it. They knew that they were going to be the butt of jokes. They already were because everyone was like, pit stops, Ferrari stressed. Yep. We're going to show you guys up for sure. Yeah, yeah. The tweets that I saw as soon as that was announced, and it was like POV, they just announced 18 laps on tires, and you're a Ferrari fan. It was like, oh, God. <laughs> Even more craziness, Lewis mm-hmm. Hamilton was out lap one, turn one, after a crash with his teammate, George. It's kind of a sandwich situation. He saw the outside, was trying to go around, and then got clipped and ended up in the gravel. That was wild. I feel like we haven't had a have had too many turn one things like that recently. Um, this and I the scream that I let out when that happened. I was like, okay, my neighbors are gonna think I'm like in trouble by that scream. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it was it was odd because they must have talked about what they were going to do at the start. And Lewis was on better tires. So I think it was Nico was talking about this. Nico, shout out Nico. We love you. Love you. He was like, why would they put Lewis on a faster tire when he's in third? It doesn't make sense. And after he said that, I was like, oh my God, that's so true. And I saw the line that Lewis was going for. And Mm -hmm. I was like, oh my God, he's going to get around both of them. Mm-hmm. It's going to happen. And then it was just a sandwich situation. George had nowhere to go. And, you know, they're going at such a quick speed, one little touch, and that's all it takes. Yeah. And I also, I think, I don't think Lewis realized how close George was to Max. So I think Lewis went around expecting George to have room to move in, and he didn't. So, you know, I will say the one thing is, like, you know, I, it was Lewis's fault. He has admitted to that. And it is always like, it's, it's better. I think when like, it was Lewis's fault and his race got ruined, you know, he didn't take anybody else out. George was able to work his way back up the field, even though he was running last at one point. To P4, which is crazy. They were even saying, I can't remember if it was Crofty or someone else, but saying, imagine if he wasn't hit on that first corner and he wasn't stuck in the gravel for so long because he had this incredible race yeah. and was going so fast. I mean, you do have to wonder kind of what could have been with yeah. those ladies cars. It was George drove out of his mind in such an, an amazing way. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Lewis also, I don't know if you saw this, Jamie, but Lewis got a fine. Yeah. A 50,000 euro fine for crossing the track while the race was still going on, which was so badass. Well, the funny thing is it's like, he's been in formula one long enough to know that he's not allowed to do that. He just like was so mad at that point. I just don't think he cared. And it will go down to 25,000 if he doesn't do it again for the rest of the season. But still that is a good thing. He's got some money. Yeah, I don't think that's going to really hurt him too much, to be honest, if we know anything about the size of his contracts. (laughs) Yeah, but I mean, Netflix is also going to eat up that video. Have you seen that clip? It's like Lewis walking and then George driving behind him. I'm like, that's the new one for Drive to Survive season. What is it going to be? Season six? Last year it was... I think it's going to be season six. Yeah, season six. Yeah. Um, Like last season five, it was um, the clip of the DNF Red Bull and the two Ferraris driving by. This is going to be the clip this year. Oh, yeah. 100%. They saw it and were like, money, 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 money. Get the cameras. Get the cameras. cameras. Did we get it? Did we get it? Yeah. The Mercedes, if they keep doing it the way that they've been, which is like the one team kind of per episode, the Mercedes one is going to be wild. Because remember... I forget what if it was a practice session or a quality, and I forget what race it was, but the Mercedes touched, I think it was in Hungary at some point. Like Lewis was going to go around and George hit him. So there's gonna be there's gonna be a few things. They're oh, they're gonna so call it like a Bro Sadies 2.0, and that's not what it is. It's not Bro Sadies 2.0. If you watch our Bro Sadies episode, you know there is a deep, deep dark history 
with Nico and Lewis. This is nothing like that. Nothing like that. There's no, there's no hatred between the two of them. They're it. Yeah. It's not what it is, but they're so going to make it out to be that because oh yeah, there's not enough. I feel like that's happened this season for them to. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be interesting to see what they come up with in terms of storylines. I would assume. I think Qatar is going to be a big one. Yeah. Because, because of the weather, the weather, numerous drivers struggled uh, the entire weekend. So we do have uh, an accumulative list here. Lance says that he passed out around the track when he was going around turns, mostly between the G-forces and the heat. Logan had to retire the race uh, from not feeling well. Esteban um, threw up in his helmet around, I think it was lap 15, which good on him. I would have retired right there. <laughs> Uh, and ended up P7, which is crazy. So great, great on you. And many drivers even just struggled getting out of their cars. Kevin Magnuson was just hunched over his car. A mechanic had to do one of the leaf blowers just on his face. Alex had a really hard time getting out of his car. Um, In a nice, in a nice, very nice moment, though, um, the Alfa Romeo engineers on their way to their car saw Alex struggling and they actually stopped to help him. Um, Lance, the video of Lance getting out of his car is like pretty scary. He goes straight to an ambulance. I mean, he couldn't really stand. And if you see the way he walks to the ambulance, he like kind of walks into it, like slams up to it. So that was, that was scary. Um, and Logan, I mean, when he, when he retired, when they were filming, like the clips that we got of it, you could see the sweat dripping off of him. Like you could see it. Well, you see these clips of drivers who are going, what, full speed and flipping their visors up because we need some sort of airflow. So that has also gone into this call, which I'd love to hear your thoughts. I have thoughts about it. That Qatar should be taken off the list for the schedule next year. um, And that the FIA has said that they're going to investigate the conditions and everything like that. But the conditions that the drivers had to go through has fans and reporters, people alike that are involved in this space, kind of torn Mm. about, is this just, you know, they're trained for this? This is what their job is versus we have had people passing out around corners. Thank goodness we didn't have a worse. Yeah. Martin Brundle and Will Buxton had takes that I found pretty disappointing about this. Um, I I don't know if it needs to be removed from the calendar altogether. It definitely needs to be run at a different time of year. Which um, it is next year. It's going to be in December. So should be less hot and less humid. Somebody even said maybe moving it further into the night so it's a little bit cooler. Later. Yeah, I mean, it, something has to be done. I do think there was the factor here was also the tire limits in the mandatory pit stops meant that the drivers were essentially pushing like quality lap times the entire time because they had to stop so often. Um, So that, you know, hopefully that's not a factor next year, but yeah, some people had these takes of like, it's just like racing in extreme rain and this is like they're professional athletes and you know, this is the point to push them. And while I agree, they are professional athletes passing out around turns is unsafe. Throwing yeah. up in your helmet is unsafe. That's not entertaining. That's like terrifying and kind of weird. And like, I find found it a little bit like, should I even be watching this? Yeah. That it was. It felt a little gr- like kind of gross. gross. Not, in a, not in a, it's like kind of a slimy way of yeah. why am I getting entertainment out of them? literally almost dying yeah. more than an extent than there are they're already in, in danger right with this mm-hmm. extreme sport and now that's being pushed even even further so yeah so I guess we'll see I think obviously they're they've said they'll take a look um and and I do think a, a major factor of it was the the tire stuff because you know we know that Singapore is also a notoriously difficult track and we don't typically have drivers this, you know, in this bad of shape after it. So hopefully they figure something out. Yeah. Having drivers, Lando said that 
numerous drivers fainted after getting out of the car, having everyone go to the medical center. Mm -hmm. This is an extreme sport, but it does not need to be. This isn't Survivor. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't, Jeff, uh, what is his name? The host of Survivor. Jeff Probst. Jeff Probst. Probst, whatever. I was saying Jeff Lewis, but no, he's Bravo. Um, um, yeah, Probst. we don't need, we, he's not here. He's not commentating. We don't need people passing out. Yeah, it's just not necessary. Entertainment. It's, it's, it needs to be. And also, I was, when I was watching it, I was like, imagine even just being a fan there. It's so hot. Yeah. Like, it wouldn't, it would be kind of hard, like, unenjoyable i would think to even just sit and watch so brutal out there well they even said too like the mechanics you think about it they're Mm -hmm. in their fireproof suits luckily they get to sit and take breaks and hydrate that was the big thing it was most of these drivers were just extremely dehydrated because they were sweating so much yeah so maybe there's just things that they can do next year like like we said, it's going to be in December next year. So the weather should be better. Hopefully that, that helps. And it's more, a little bit more like Singapore where they're very sweaty, but not passing out around corners. It's not scary to watch them get out of the cars. Yeah, exactly. Um, And something that comes with high heat, high emotions. Mm. How do you like that? That transition there? What What a transition. Thank you. Seamless. Uh, seamless. Would have been more seamless if I didn't talk about it. (laughs) (laughs) Lance Stroll was at the forefront of conversation this weekend. On Friday, he got out in Q1 once again. This I can't remember how many races in a row this is. I want to say four. Four? I even think it might be five. Five, so quite a few times he has been out in Q1 and he obviously showed a lot of emotion, a lot of passion. He, there's video of him throwing his steering wheel, trying to get out of the car, a $30,000 steering wheel. Uh, more then, than that. You think it's going to be, it's more than that? Mm-hmm. Either way, that's a college tuition right there, <laughs> your college tuition you just throw in. And then it looked like he allegedly pushed his trainer. It wasn't very clear. You couldn't see everything, but Sky Sports really showed it quite a few times to really get those out there. So he was, he obviously, I I don't think people can say he doesn't care anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, obviously the, that behavior is not acceptable, right? At the end of the day, he's working. This is his job. You cannot, you cannot act like that anytime. Like you should never resort to physical violence. Um, I do think this, there's like a, it, you don't, we don't see that from Lance. Like to me, it was like, I was like, something's really wrong. Well, I saw the trainer. So we didn't see the steering wheel thing happen. That came out later. I remember seeing him and I remember seeing the trainer wag his finger at him. And I thought the trainer was wagging his finger about him getting out in Q1. And I was like, well, okay, that's just playing with fire, not victim victim blaming at all. I was like, why would you got to like, let them cool off um, and then talk to them about it, I guess. And then the initial thought was, oh, he punched a wall. I remember also watching and being like, there, that's not a, punch to the wall that was a push that was both hand push yeah I heard and I I don't know if this was ever confirmed but when I first saw it um I heard that the trainer was pointing for him to go out of the garage because he had to go get weighed oh maybe I heard that that's what I heard the pointing was I it's not confirmed that's just what I saw on like like twitter or whatever Yeah, well, the wagging of the finger now makes sense to me because of the throwing the steering wheel. Honestly, I'm like, oh, yeah, he definitely needs to be called out for that. Like, that's, yeah, you're costing money. You could have hurt somebody. No one, no one that was around the car was wearing any headgear, anything like that. And it would have been an accident, but still, you could have avoided it by not throwing it. So apparently, Lance has apologized to his team. 
Mike Crack, the Aston Martin team principal, says that he apologized to the team and also says that he shouldn't be judged harshly, harshly by the public for his heat of the moment reactions. He says this. You see football players who sometimes throw a jersey or throw a water bottle or don't give a coach a handshake when they are substituted. I think sport thrives on emotions like that, and you shouldn't judge it too much when you're in a situation like that. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, so, right, we both played sports our whole lives. Obviously, this is a whole other level, and you get pissed off, but throwing a jersey or a water bottle to me is very different than pushing somebody or throwing a very hard steering wheel that could seriously injure somebody. Yeah. And I think that's where it's like, you know, I think, was it Seb who a few years ago said kind of a similar thing about team radios and um, somebody, it might've been Lewis or someone was getting heat about something they'd said on the radio during the race. And, and Seb was like, I mean, imagine if you mic'd up professional footballers yeah, footballers European, so like soccer for us, <laughs> or American football players. Like, yeah, you know, it's all it's in the heat of the moment. If you've played anything, if you've done anything competitive, you know how how heated you can get. But physical violence is never okay. Yeah, never the there's end. A, there's a cutoff, you know, because I remember Lando got heat for he was commenting on the traffic mm-hmm. uh, on a radio and saying, "Well, these people aren't even racing for anything. Like, they need to." blah, 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 blah. Radios to me are, it's a totally different category. Well, like I, I get that. I 100% agree with Seb on that. Mm-hmm. You say things in the heat of the moment. Not only these guys in the heat of the moment, adrenaline's pumping. You're also in very dangerous situations. You're trying, you're going at 200 kilometers. Like mm-hmm. you're going fast. Yeah. Um, and I will say, I believe as of today, it's been released that I, I, Lance has been summoned to the FIA over um, certain actions, which it's not been specified, but we can all assume it's over this. So we will see what that ends up if we hear anything more about it. Um, But yeah, I I do feel like it's not behavior we typically see from him. And I think if even people are like, you know, what if this is how he's is behind closed doors? I think we there's cameras everywhere. We would have yeah. seen it, I feel like, by now, because he's been in this space yeah. for so long. And had we not seen it, there's the rumor mill in that this sport is crazy. We would have heard something. Crazy. Like, so I do I do think there's, you know, he's really having a hard time, I believe. Yeah. Is is kind of what I got from that. Not saying it's okay, but I'm saying I, I, that's what I got from it. Yeah, very much on the same page. It's not okay. It's definitely he definitely cares, and I think that that proves proves it. He definitely cares. He definitely yeah. wants to be here. His uh, interview afterwards was quite brutal. Listen, I'm a Lance Stroll sympathizer till the day I die. Not saying I can defend this but I'm still a Lance Stroll sympathizer till the day I die. (laughs) Yeah, so that's kind of the roundup of Qatar. There have been a few F1-related news come out Mm -hmm. recently, like Pirelli is the sole tire supplier until 2027. Yeah. Um, I I did hear something that they were slated to announce it during Qatar, but then they delayed it. Not the time. time. (laughs) Makes sense. Um, but I mean, we'll get into tire suppliers in just a second. So yeah, I wonder if that's why, um, like the director of Pirelli was there at the race. Mm, Probably. I don't know if he's normally there. I would would assume the the full director of Pirelli probably. Like director of motorsport, I think. Maybe. I don't know if he's normally there, but it would then make sense if they were going to announce it. But yeah, that's, uh. You know what, Jax? We can look that up and we can we can circle back when you have your tire talks episode. Oh yeah. <laughs> the the director of Pirelli is at every race typically. We'll we'll confirm or deny. And then something I did want to just get your opinion on. Zoe from Fan Behavior, shout out to Fan Behavior F1. She brought up this a um, really, really good point that I I believe to be true is that Checo's seat at Red Bull is dependent on him finishing. P2 in the driver's championship. I agree. 
Um, I, I, I will say, I, um, I feel like I agree with everything fan behavior. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I mean, if you listen to the way that they're talking, like going back to our Red Bull and our silly season episode, you listen to Helmet Marco on this specifically. Don't listen to him basically any other time. But yeah. <laughs> on, when he talks about driver performance, he's kind of the litmus test for how things are going in there. And he'll spill a lot more than Christian Horner will. And he's started saying like, well, we really need Checo to get back. And we really need Checo to secure P2 in the championship. And even Christian Horner has started to say that. And they haven't quite gone so far as like, he won't be back if he doesn't get it. But I think everyone can kind of read in between the lines. And if this is, I mean, he stopped them from getting a one-two in the championship last year. Charles Leclerc narrowly beat him. Yeah. Um, Red Bull has never gotten, won the constructors and gotten a one-two in the championship. They won't. It prevents them from getting it again. And if I do think this all also hinges on Daniel Ricardo's performance when he gets back, can't wait to have him back. Um, but he needs to also drive solidly enough that they can be like, they won't be, it won't be ridiculous for them to put him back in the seat. Right. Yeah. I'm not saying he has to have these like incredible, like life-changing alpha tower drives, but he does need to do well enough that they, people aren't going to be like, what? Yeah. And so I think it hinges on several things, but I do agree. I do agree that if he doesn't secure P2, then I don't think he will be there at the end of 2024. Like by the end of the season, I think they'll replace him. He needs to then step it up because I think I saw something that said that he scored five points in the last three races. Mm -hmm. Does that sound about right? I think it's something like that. Where did he finish in the race? He DNF'd in the sprint this past weekend. I will look it up. I don't know. I feel like <laughs> track limits violations. He might have finished outside of the points. Oh, well, he got three, four yeah. violations. Max didn't get any. So Tommy, Tommy from the um, P1 podcast tweeted, and it was like Sergio Perez after getting a track limits violation. And it was this picture of spongebob and it was like want to see me do it again <laughs> so he did finish p10 so he got a point a point but lewis got four in the sprint the day before yeah so let me look up the oh yeah the gap, to, the gap is like 30 points now and had lewis not dnf'd i mean that would have been far yeah. far smaller of a gap in the construct in the yeah so sergio perez I think that this is correct. Sergio Perez has 224 and Lewis has 194. Mm -hmm. 30 points. 30 points. So you were right. Yeah. So we'll see. We'll see. That's all for news. That's all for news. Is it time? This is, we were talking about this earlier. How excited are you to do this episode? <laughs> I've been waiting. And I was actually going to do this episode next week because next week will be the episode before the U.S. Grand Prix. But with what happened this weekend, I was like, we got to do it now. <laughs> this is Jamie's Roman Empire. I think about this every day. Is this your F1 Roman Empire? Or do you think no, this is your general, Roman Empire? My general Roman Empire. Your general Roman Empire. Um, of course, we are talking about the 2005 United States Grand Prix and Tire Wars in general. Uh, so, which is why talking tires, tire suppliers, Pirelli being sold tire supplier, it's very timely. Um, so the sources for today's episode, uh, FormulaOne.com, Motorsport.com, Planet F1, and good old Wikipedia. So let's jump in. Um, what is a tire war? Tire wars occur in motorsport when there is more than one manufacturer in a single series. Essentially, it's, it's a pretty controversial practice. It's not super common anymore. But the idea behind tire wars is that it promotes technical innovation. If one supplier 
is competing with another to get, you know, teams and also to perform better to get prize money, then, you know, it spurs innovation, right? Uh, but on the other hand, when um, all event competitors stretch their tires performance, it risks widespread tire failures, as we will get to. IndyCar has two tire suppliers, or they just Bridgestone? IndyCar just has Bridgestone. They have two engine suppliers. Oh, okay. That's what I'm thinking of. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking of. Yeah. Just one, though. Um NASCAR does this a little bit. I don't believe they're currently doing it, um, but I'm not even sure that IndyCar has ever done it. It was not on the list of series that I could see. So I don't know. Um, but so that's what a tire war is. What it, Tire wars in Formula One. So they're actually pretty common in Formula One from the 1950s to the early 1990s. Um, Formula One often had multiple suppliers, so like any combination of, um, they had Dunlop, Firestone, Continental, Goodyear, Avon Rubber, never heard of that, <laughs> um, Engelbert, Pirelli, and Michelin. And throughout this time, they did have some eras of sole suppliers. From 61 to 63, Dunlop was ex the exclusive tire supplier. Um, 87 and 88 was Goodyear. Um, and then in 1992, Pirelli had previously been one of the suppliers, but when they exited, Goodyear became the sole Formula One supplier for four years. In 1997, though, Bridgestone entered the sport, and there was one year of tire wars between Bridgestone and Goodyear until Bridgestone or until Goodyear exited the sport at the in the 1998 season. That left Bridgestone as the sole tire supplier uh, until Michelin comes into the sport in 2001. Um, this sparks a tire war that lasts until 20 or 2006. This is where things get interesting. <laughs> um, so the tire wars during this period have been cited as a reason for a six car start at the 2005 United States Grand Prix. Um, all right. So going into the 2005 United States Grand Prix, it was at Indianapolis at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. It's also where the Indy 500 is run, but they have a road course within the Motor Speedway as well. Um, and the interesting thing about the 2005 season is that there was a new rule introduced that restricted drivers to a single set of tires for qualifying and a single set of tires for the race. There were no tire changes. Okay. Which I was like, this, I almost didn't include this because I was like, there's no way this is real. And then later on, I was like, no, that's definitely real because there's other, you'll realize when I realized it was real. Okay. Uh, that sounds, that's crazy though. Yeah. Um, and so Bridgestone had one of the higher ranking teams, which was Ferrari. Um, the rest of the leadership leading teams were all Michelin teams. McLaren, Renault, Williams, and Toyota were all Michelin. So race weekend, 2005, it's Friday, June 17th, a beautiful day in Indianapolis. And Friday morning, free practice starts off with a little bit of excitement and a little bit of a bang when Toyota's third driver, Ricardo Zonta, spun into the infield after his left rear Michelin went down. Um, and this didn't really cause too much stir. It was sort of like, oh, you know, I mean, things happen during free practice, right? Um, but in FP2, Ralph Schumacher, brother of Michael, uh, <laughs> um, crashed heavily had a really bad crash in, um, when exiting turn 13. He, um, the banked right-hander into a pit straight. So it's like banked right-hand turn into a straight. Um, and that's when alarm bells start to go off for everybody. People were nervous after that one. Because this is the second crash where a left rear tire went out. Oh, golly. Well, um, to, uh, according to Toyota team principal, John Howitt, who was interviewed for, um, about this 
years after the fact. Um, so there's quotes from him throughout this, but he says, Ralph's was a fairly big shunt and we were all relieved that he got out of the car. They were replaying pictures of the incident and it looked like the left rear tire had gone down. I think we still ran a bit in that session when Jarno truly came in there were what looked like vertical cuts in the sidewall of the rear left. So we knew we had a problem and it was, why is it us? First of all, Michelin thought we were running under inflated pressures, but there was no issue there. We were running, we weren't running even close to low pressure. So we were thinking, why have we got this problem? So even Jarno truly the third driver for the team mm-hmm. also, he didn't have a tire failure, but he comes in and there's still striping on his left rear tire. Then this is when it starts to emerge that other teams are also seeing the issue. The striping. Mm -hmm. Jesus. So Howitt, again, team principal of Toyota, um, he says that one of the Michelin guys came along and they said they had identified a similar situation on three or four other teams to Jarno's car. So that's striping on the left rear tire. So an hour or so after FP2, it becomes obvious there's an issue with this tire. There's an issue with the tires. Michelin works overnight to see, they're like, it must be a batch issue. Even though how it says it was clear that all of the teams, we weren't all getting tires from the same batch, but Michelin works through the night to test, to see if this is a batch issue with the tires. Yeah. Which brings us to Saturday, quality day. June 18th. Um, Michelin works overnight. The news in the morning is not ideal. Um, how it is told that there is was a wave created in the sidewall as you go around the banking. This combined with vertical load, aka downforce, makes the tire very fragile, which is why as they're going around that banked churn, the tire's flexing and sometimes failing. Michelin believes that while it didn't appear that Toyota had more downforce than anybody else, because remember, Toyota is the only one that's had a failure at this point. Everybody else has striping, but Toyota is the only one that's had tires actually fail. Um, the natural frequency of their chassis, which I don't, I don't know what that means. Um, <laughs> I, I copied and pa- I, radical honesty. I copied and pasted that one. Um, And their suspension design probably accentuated the wave, which is why they were getting failures and nobody else was. But it was a tire issue, not a Toyota issue. Um, Michelin then directs their teams to use caution in Saturday running, but doesn't tell them that they can't run. So Jarno Trulli of Toyota does actually take pole in the race. Um, But how it says... Probably we were running lighter fuel than the others because we seemed to have a more severe problem. So we were extra cautious. So he had just less fuel. <laughs> and he took pull. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Seems like a good fix. Yeah. I mean, so they they were also all doing um, the, all of the Michelin teams were typically running shorter stints because um, there was obviously Saturday. So it was a free practice three and then a qualifying. Yeah. And you might be wondering at this point, why not just use a different compound, right? The the tire's failing. In current days, we have soft, medium, hard, wet inters. Yeah. Well, Charlie Whiting, who was the FIA race director at this race, he was interviewed about this race in 2015. He says, companies came along with a tire that was the so-called prime in this, at this time. So they bring... Michelin brings their prime tire, and then they were supposed to have a backup tire should the prime not be suitable. But that's not how it worked, of course. The backup tire became the option, so it became edgier as opposed to a safe backup. So essentially, rather than bring, you know, a tire that they can use if if this happens, if the prime fails, they were bringing this tire that was like this cool new thing to try out. That's crazy. Yeah. Essentially, it was more dangerous. Right. So essentially, the backup was even worse an option than the prime. Jesus. Lord almighty. (laughs) So so Charlie continues. He says, they came to us. They said, we've got too much loading. We've got these standing waves on the tires. It's dangerous. We have to slow the cars down. I said, there must be other ways of addressing this. 
We're not going to slow the cars down. It wouldn't be fair to those who brought the right tires. You need to get some more tires sent over. They went off and came back and said they didn't have enough. You feel the stress building? <laughs> this is Saturday after Quali and they're doing this. Oh, um, so in a meeting Saturday night, um, the Michelin teams come up with an idea of introducing a chicane. Um, a similar thing had been done last minute at the 1994 Spanish Grand Prix. So they felt like they had a precedent, right, to last minute add in a chicane. So a little bit more about this chicane idea is the assumption is that the problem was that turn 13 turn, that banked right-hander into a straight. Um, it's where Ralph crashed. It's where Ricardo um, had his deflation that landed him in the midfield or in the middle. Um so the Michelin teams agree that we should add a chicane so that the cars entered turn 13 slower. They bring this to chairman of F1, Bernie Ecclestone, and IMS Indianapolis Motor Speedway, IMS president, Tony George, and they both agree. They're both like, yeah, we'll make it happen. We'll add a chicane. However, this then gets to Charlie Whiting, FAA race director, and to FAA president, Max Mosley, and they shut it down immediately. They say it's not safe. It's not safe to run a chicane that has not been tested. Um, Charlie Whiting highlights, which we've actually seen this happen at IMS. What if a car hits, a sh hits the chicane and a tire flies into the crowd? Um, if you look at how IMS is set up, they're right, like the seats are right up against the track. And actually at this year's 500, Kyle Kirkwood's tire came off and it didn't hit anybody. Luckily, it actually went over the stands and into the parking lot. So this is not an unrealistic thing to think about. <laughs> they need um, to rethink that. Yeah. Exactly. They've tried. They've tried. They're working on it. This isn't um, ice hockey. We don't need to be right up with yeah. <laughs> um, So Saturday night again. They've, the chicane's just been shot down. So in a last-ditch attempt to fix the issues, a random selection of 26 tires are flown down uh, to a Michelin research and development base in Akron, Ohio, in a small cargo plane. The FIA only agreed to this if they could also send down technical delegate Joe Bauer to chaperone them. So Joe, along with three Michelin engineers, were given use of the McLaren private jet to fly to Akron, Ohio, to test these tires. Saturday night before the race. <laughs> it's crazy. crazy. Imagine um, being on McLaren's private jet and going to Akron, Ohio. <laughs> well, imagine being on McLaren's private jet, but you're one of these Michelin engineers and you're just like, Full of anxiety because like, yeah. you're like I need to figure out how to make these tires not fail in the next 12 hours yeah um but the investigation is essentially useless they don't find any information that'll help them um there's differing reports from what I could find between they couldn't figure out how to stop it versus also there are reports saying that they couldn't actually um, recreate what was happening mm -hmm. like in testing so either one of those happen, regardless, the results are the same. They don't get any more information. Um, so the tires, Bauer and the engineers return to Indianapolis at 6 a.m. the next morning, which brings us to Sunday, June 19th, race day. Um, so at this point, right, we the tires have returned from Akron, Ohio with no new information. There's no sign of a chicane chicane's been shut down. So what do we do? Um, the position from the FIA is remaining that the meetings are unsafe. Meetings are getting more and more heated as the day goes on. Um, and then at one point, the FIA has a counter proposal to the Michelin teams saying that they would lift the ban on running one tire for the whole race so they could change as much as many times as they wanted. They could pit stop as many times as they wanted and then we could just tell the drivers to lift through the corner through turn 13 or put the pit limiter on through turn 13. Okay. 
Yeah. So this is at this moment, I knew that that role about the one tire was true. <laughs> I was like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, but you know, beyond the fact that that's a wild thing, um, drivers also felt that this would be unsafe. One, you know, they were saying that you need the throttle to balance the car through turns, especially like a bank turn. Um, and you know, braking through a turn in the middle of a race, when other teams won't be breaking, it's just recipe for disaster. Um, so the Michelin teams continue to pressure Charlie Whiting and the FIA. Um, and they're, they're saying that there won't be a race if there's no chicane. The FIA continues to present alternatives. Um, some of them include running the cars through the pit lane every lap, um, imposing a speed limit for the Michelin cars, and allowing the Bridgestone runners to run at normal speeds. Um, and to give a little bit more context to this, I have a quote from Mr. Charlie Whiting. Okay. Um, he said, we, we could have painted a line through the corner. Bridgestone cars could stay on the outside line and Michelin cards inside or something like that. So they were separated. We could have just used a pit lane speed limiter or we probably would have monitored it with a speed gun. We didn't have timing loops in those days as in many places but there were ways of doing it simply really. And there were, they could have just used a pit lane speed limiter. We know that what was set at, and in six, run it in sixth gear instead of third gear. If they wanted to do it, we could have come up with something. How fun does that sound to watch? I just don't understand why they just, at this point, just cancel it. <laughs> so widen continues. I have a second part of this quote. Okay. <laughs> he says, okay, it would have been disastrous for the Michelin teams. <laughs> yeah, but, but <laughs> he says, but we would have had a race and the Michelin cars would have had a good race amongst themselves. And you would have had a full field. <laughs> it would have been very straightforward. I was pressing them to tell me what they thought a safe speed was through that corner. And they could never tell me. And at this point, this is actually a valid point that he has. So if I put a chicane in, how does that guarantee that the speed is going to be safe through the corner? I, because he was like, they wouldn't tell me what's a safe speed. So yeah. how? So I, he, is, he is right about that. Um, I gave them all the reasons why a chicane wasn't going to happen. So poor Charlie. That part of, we'll just let the visually just, they can all go play with each other and that's it. Really, it's like, oh, well, you guys are going to be so slow, but you're going to have so much fun. You know what? It's always good to just participate. Yeah. Participate. Um, so this is the status, you know, as we stand, right? Charlie Whiting is trying to find an alternative for them. The Michelin teams are going chicane, chicane, chicane. Charlie's going, no, 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 no. We're not doing a chicane. Well, <laughs> later that day, um, Charlie learns that a chicane is just being built with tire stacks. Oh my God. Um, so he claims, he claims that it was at the request and approval of Bernie Ecclestone. <laughs> this? Bernie has always been messy. Bernie's uh, messy. I will note, I will note that Tony George does not recall if it was at the request of Bernie or not. <laughs> <laughs> That's just what everyone is leaning into, and I'm here for it. Yeah, I believe if it was at the request of Bernie. Yeah. You know? Bernie good. does what he wants. He doesn't care. Literally. Well, at this point, Charlie shuts down the DIY of the chicane. DIY. <laughs> <laughs> and at this point, Michelin tells their team, if there is no chicane, we cannot allow you to race. Um, and according to Howitt, there were two Bridgestone teams. Howitt, once again, team principal of Toyota. Um, he says there were two Bridgestone teams that supported the effort of the chicane. Those teams were Jordan and Minardi. Ferrari, not so much. Ferrari was like, why? Why would I support a chicane? We have the good tires. Not our problem, basically. <laughs> um. So in a final conversation as the race start is like looming, 
Max Mosley, president of the FIA, um, makes it clear he's absolutely not allowing a chicane. He even goes so far to say if one is added, it will not be considered an FIA race and thus not part of the championship. King. Massive. Laying down the law. Put your foot down. Yeah. Way to go, Max. Um, And from Pat Simons of Renault, he said, safety comes first. End of story. When you get standing ways in a tire, the only things that affect it are load, speed, and pressure. We are at the highest pressures we could run. So we had to have reduced load and speed, but we couldn't do that. The chicane shouldn't have happened. It's sport. It's not about bringing everything down to the lowest common denominator. If you can't perform, you can't perform. Which is, I guess, a valid take, right? Yeah. You know, Michelin messed up. They didn't bring, their tires were failing, you know? Why bring Bridgestone down? Why bring Ferrari down? Um, So eventually the Michelin teams come to the decision that they will not take the start. And um, they then had to let their drivers know (laughs) that that would be happening and that they would not be starting. So, um uh, a little driver from Renault named um, Fernando Alonso had the following to say. Um, he said it was a very strange weekend with the problems of the tires. Many discussions, many meetings in different motorhomes, trying to make, come to an agreement of racing, but maybe not taking the points or some kind of decision to make everyone happy. In the end, it was not possible, which I think is a shame for people because the show was affected by that decision. I want... Fernando has, I feel like, seen everything. Been a, not even seen it, but he's been a part of everything. It was crazy going through and seeing, like, like Jensen was driving in this race. Oh, Jensen. And it was, like, go, going through and, like, seeing all these people. And I was like, oh, my gosh, it's so wild, the the people that have seen this, that that were oh, yeah. there. Because you think, like, oh, Michael Schumacher, right? Mm-hmm. He, was, he was racing. Yeah. Like, oh, my God, it's so long ago. But it really wasn't. It really wasn't, yeah. Yeah, Fernando, I would love for him to go through all the races. I'd love to hear his comments on this race now mm-hmm. and hear what he has to say. Yeah, yeah. Um, so essentially, the Michelin teams agree that they will go to the grid, um, which is required by the Concord Agreement. They will do the formation lap, and then they will retire to the pit lane. Um Charlie Whiting says that he was informed that this would happen, but even while he was watching the formation lap, he wasn't confident. He was like, they're, they're not, they're going to line up. He was like, no, they'll, they'll do it. They'll race. Um, and even Fernando, he was fighting with Kimi, um, Kimi Raikkonen, who was racing for McLaren at the time for the championship. And Kimi qualified second, Fernando qualified sixth. And the directive that he got from Renault was, if Kimmy goes into the pit lane, you go into the pit lane. But if Kimmy goes to the grid, you go to the grid. <laughs> I love, I live for it. Kimmy, please just start driving again. Kimmy, we love you. We miss you. Icon. Come, come take up your hobby again. Yeah. <laughs> um, but all, all cars, all Michelin teams go to the pits. Um, that's where we get the famous picture of the six Bridgestone cars waiting for lights out. And Whiting um, says he, I wasn't convinced that there would be complete solidarity, but they'd obviously all cut their palms and made this big pact, which is like, whoa, that is so dramatic. (laughs) Um, He says, and they all did it. I suppose they'd been told they had to by Michelin. It was a pretty, it was pretty awful starting that race. My goodness, the crowd opposite when I climbed down off the start platform you should have heard the booze. It was horrendous. I wanted to run inside, but I tried to walk in as dignified a fashion as possible. Obviously, it wasn't me they were aiming their booze at, but what really worried me when they started throwing beer cans onto the track at the first corner. I thought if that gets a hold, we'll have to stop the race. That's um, true American fashion. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. But also just, could you imagine you go and do this I don't know how much F1 races were at this time, but you're still spending money. You're taking time. There's probably kids and stuff there and you're all doing this and there's six cars. Yeah. Well, and like, at least to my research and I could, I could have just missed it, but I'm not sure that there were any sort of like 
press releases or anything. So they like, just found out when they showed up. Yeah. Like it's, it's completely possible that they found out when the cars went into the pit lane instead of going to the grid. That's crazy. And I could be wrong about that. I could have missed it, but I don't believe I saw any news about it. I mean, I wouldn't be shocked. Just look at Qatar. The drivers found out the same time about the tire limits <laughs> that we did. Yeah. And I mean, you feel like everything was so last minute. Yeah. Like they didn't decide that they were not racing until just before the race. They were trying to do everything so that there could be everybody mm-hmm. on that grid. So, yeah. yeah. Even if they probably did have time to send something out, it would have been, people would have already been there. I'm sure these races are tailgated just like a football game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Especially at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. I mean, that's yeah. in like literal racing country. That's where the 500 is. So, yeah. Big racing people there. Um, But to give you like a quick, quick, quick one-line synopsis of how the race actually goes with those six cars, Michael Schumacher wins. Um, He takes Ferrari's only victory of the season. Because ironically, during this season, Michelin was absolutely destroying Bridgestone. (laughs) Like, Like Michelin cars were so much better on every other track. You know, everyone has to have a fall. Yeah. It has, it has to happen at some point. Mm-hmm. It always does. Yeah. Um, but, you know, obviously it didn't end there, right? It wasn't just like, oh, that was crazy. See you next week. Um, so there's lots and lots of drama between the FIA and Michelin, obviously, because Michelin's like, you should have put the chicane in, and F- the FIA is like, you should have brought tires that worked. Um, but the interesting thing is, because Michelin was not a competitor, the FIA could not penalize them at all. So eventually they reach an agreement, but the FIA couldn't impose penalties on them, which I didn't know. It's interesting. Um, Seven Michelin teams were subjected to a World Motorsport Council hearing, and they were found guilty of failing to ensure that they were in possession of suitable tires for the 2005 U.S. Grand Prix, but with strong mitigating circumstances. (laughs) They copy added that one. Yeah, Um, And of wrongfully refusing to allow their cars to start the race, having regard to their right to use the pit lane on each lap. So the World Motorsport Council was like, well, you could have just drove through the pit lane every lap. So they got in trouble. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely ridiculous. And beyond that, the fans were so, so mad. Um, yeah, understandably, yeah. I would be. Um, so for our last quote of the day from our friend, new friend, John Howitt, um, he says, we had a class action against Toyota, as I think a number of teams did. When we sent all the documents to the US, US lawyers, they weren't worried. They said, if you guys had actually raced in the knowledge that you had the tire defect under Indiana law, you would have been responsible for cr- criminal negligence. Even without an incident, um, by racing, we were technically putting the life of the marshals and so on at risk. Um, but yeah, fans, there were class, acts, class action lawsuits against the teams that didn't race because the fans were so upset. That's. Oh, because like false advertisement. Mm-hmm. I so think, like, yeah. Yeah. Like, you know how that guy, um, there was a guy who like sued a movie because Anna de Armas was in the trailer, but wasn't in the movie. And he sued the movie. He lost, but yeah, I don't think any of these were successful either because I like, as how it says, like the evidence is like, well, had they raced, they would have been putting people in danger. So, yeah, you know, um, but the effect of it is felt for sure. Um, the 2005 U S Grand Prix had an estimated 130,000 person attendance. And then after the events of that year, F, um, interest in F1 in the U.S. fell to a pretty low, low. And by 2007, Bernie Ecclestone had, was giving interviews about low attendance at the U.S. Grand Prix and even going so far as to say that they don't need a U.S. race anymore in an interview with ESPN. And now they have three. Four. Three? We have three. 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 I think four. Do you think that – oh, well, do is there anything else – 
Because I have a question. We just have tinfoil hat time now. Okay. Well, before you go on your tinfoil hat, can I ask you a question? Yeah. Do you think that, you know, this is kind of the reason that the U.S. races aren't in Indianapolis? Like, it should be, right? Because we have the 500, we have all those things. Like you said, it's the heart and soul of motorsport. But we have Austin, we have Miami, and we have Vegas now. Mm -hmm. I think this is the reason why. I do wonder if there's probably there's probably like residual, you know, both on the like marketing side of things of like people, you know, it wasn't that long ago, right? So people that might have been there or might have been following the sport at the time would probably be like, I don't want to go to a race in Indianapolis, an F1 race in Indianapolis. It was a disaster last time. Or they did actually return and race in 2006 and 2007. Um but I do yeah, think probably like contractually though, right? Like, yeah. yeah. Um, I also, I mean, if you look at all the races in the U.S. now, I mean, no, because I was going to say that they're street courses, but Austin's not a street course. Austin's a road course. Um, so possibly. But Austin, you know, you look at it, I think it has like some of the highest, it's like one of the highest attended races. On yeah. The yeah. It's a super successful race. What do you think changed it then? Tinfoil hat time. <laughs> Tinfoil hat time. So my um, take, my opinion, okay. is that the 2005 U.S. Grand Prix destroyed the interest, American interest in Formula One. They were like, it's a bunch of rich people, and then they decide they don't want to race right before the race starts. Let's stick with NASCAR. That's probably what they were all saying. Um, until a little show called Drive to Survive was released. And that is what changed it. That is what got the American market. If we didn't have Drive to Survive, I mean, you know, think people like us. I mean, we got into the sport through Drive to Survive. Yeah. You know, I don't think we would be seeing anywhere near the numbers we see, say, at Austin nowhere near that we would definitely not have three races i don't think ever i don't think they ever would have broken back into the u.s market without drive to survive even though we did have i mean like lewis hamilton's obviously globally famous and daniel is i feel like pretty mainstream famous Mm -hmm. he went to the met gala of course he is like i feel like before i even started following formula one i feel like i recognized his name yeah Um, but they did not have the reach and the power to get people to start watching races without Drive to Survive. Yeah. And I feel like, too, I remember growing up and watching, I feel like Hollywood started picking up on F1 mm-hmm. and just motorsport in general. I mean, you look at, this isn't a F1 movie, but Ford versus Ferrari, that was huge. Mm-hmm. Um, you look at Rush, which isn't a great film and both people part of it don't like the film (laughs) but you know Hollywood taking an interest in it too definitely I think has a yeah and also it's it's had to go through I think a bit of a rebrand right because you know years ago the only time it was mentioned in mainstream media was like oh like, like Monte Carlo and you're going to the casino and you're watching the Formula One race and it was I think kind of almost this unattainable thing that I think particularly Americans do not connect with something like that. You're like, oh, it's some like rich, unattainable thing that you'd like, you know, watch from your yacht in Monte Carlo. Like, I'm good. I'll watch the Indy 500. (laughs) Um, Yeah, now look at it. How destructive it is here. Yeah, and I think the like drive to survive was like the unveiling of that, like the, you know, inviting people in in a way that was really digestible. Like, you know, got it got so many people in the door and other racing series, I know IndyCar is seeing better numbers. And I I also think it's because of drive to survive. Drive to survive, IndyCar did their own kind of drive to survive. A hundred days to Indy. Yeah, which was really good. It was really good, but I don't think it got anywhere near the numbers that Drive to Survive gets. Drive to Survive is Netflix. Yeah. And everyone has... It was the CW. Yeah. This is the CW. 
and you could only watch it. I mean, I, I don't even think we had to hook him an account to watch it. I think I watched it just on the CW. I watched it on my laptop. Yeah, it was super easy, but people don't go scrolling through the CW to find a show to watch. People go scrolling through Netflix and are like, okay, well, we'll watch this. Sure. I would be really interested to see if, um, particularly IndyCar, if they have done any sort of like analysis of where their audience has come from, like how much of their audience can they attribute to 100 Days to Indy, but how much of their audience can they attribute to Drive to Survive? I also wonder with social media, mm-hmm. how much that has changed the fan bases of both yeah. sports. Um, I know it changes, it's changed everything. Yeah. But it allows you in, I think something that what Drive to Survive did, which is what got, I know you and I into it is because we got to know the drivers and we're like, these people are cool. They're funny. This is really interesting. Yeah. You get to know the personalities. You get to really connect with people and be like, yeah, this is my, this is my guy. I want him to win. Mm -hmm. This is my team. Yeah. And another element of that is like, yeah, like fan bases and, and bringing people together on social media is like such a big thing in motorsport. And I will caveat that I don't really follow any other sports, but I don't feel like there's quite the online community. I feel like it's unique in motorsport and in Formula One in particular. That there's such an online thing. Yeah. I think because it's so around the world, while a lot of sports, because I do follow other sports, uh, like NFL is is the U.S. It's mm-hmm. the U.S. NHL is really North America. Um, well, really, it's really just the U.S. and Canada. <laughs> yeah, there are players from around the world, but it's it's that's where it's most popular. It's really just there. Well, Formula One has to have this presence around the online because. It, everyone there's races around the world there's fans around the world mm-hmm. if you look at the attendance of people this year like Qatar was it said it was a sold out race yeah there are fans everywhere yeah global 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 um so yeah that is the story of my Roman Empire the 2005 United States Grand Prix I hope you enjoyed thanks Jane Anytime. Um, that was that was all we got for you, though. Um, no race this weekend. But next week, not only is it Austin, it's another sprint weekend, baby. Oh, baby. Oh, baby. So um, I will be talking to you before then. Um, but if any news comes out, we will actually probably talk about it in two weeks because I'm going to be on vacation. So... <laughs> I'll I'll talk to you next week, but I'll we'll we'll really catch up in two weeks. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll have a lot to talk about in two yeah, weeks. Yeah. It'll probably just be a catch up episode. It'll Honestly, still be- we we might need to do one uh, depending on how much news comes out and depending on what happens in Austin. <laughs> I mean, if it's anything like Qatar, we spent how how long talking half about hour. it? Half yeah. an hour. So it'll probably just be a catch up episode, but it'll still be fun. Yeah. So we'll we'll see you then. Love you bye. Bye.